One of the great thinkers, the great minds of today is a philosopher, he's a politician and all-round deep thinker. It's this man, uh, you might recognise him, he's the former governator of California, Arnie. But he used to make movies, if you're maybe too young to remember, but they're all classic movies, classics of style and sophistication. They are the deep movies of all time. Conan the Barbarian, the Terminator series, Total Recall. Uh, and my personal favourite is True Lies. Great movies. Uh, but while he was still acting, Arnie was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on her show and she was asking him about how rich and famous he'd become and, and what that was like having come from his background in country Austria to kind of fame and fortune in America. And here's what he said. He said, Oprah, I have to tell you that I have found that money does not bring happiness. I now have $50 million and I am no happier than when I had $48 million. And while we might laugh at the clever little joke that he made, and it is quite funny, uh, and while we might say to each other and to ourselves that money really doesn't bring happiness, deep down, who really believes that? Who thinks that's true? We hear rich people say that kind of thing and we think, well, well, give me your money and then we'll see. Think of the cues that are at the news agents uh, every day for the lotto, for Powerball and for the scratchies. Do you think the people lined up think that money doesn't buy happiness? Well, no way. But or think of all the people right now in the midst of all this COVID crisis who are freaking out uh, because the stock market has tanked. Do you believe that they're thinking, well, no, we're more happy now that we haven't got the funds? Why don't we believe it? when we hear money doesn't buy happiness. We don't believe it because we intuitively just understand what, what money does, what it achieves. We think what we can do with it. Uh, we think happiness is going to be found in our stuff, in our money, in our possessions and, and all the stuff that money buys. But it's not just the toys and the luxuries Money apparently meets all of our deepest felt needs, all the deepest needs of humanity, our greatest needs. It, you know, it, it buys love, or at least to buy something close to love. With money comes respect and status and, and certainly better treatment by others. And that might feel a lot like love. Uh, it, it brings security. Uh, money gets us safety. It, it gets us into a better neighborhood. It gets us a better car that's got more airbags. Money shields people from the unpleasantness of life. Uh, we can go to better doctors, the ones we choose. We can buy air conditioners uh, and we can eat whatever foods we like, when we like. It also buys freedom. Freedom, money, the more money we have, the more we can do as we please. We're just freed up. You can go on holidays overseas. You can now even go on holidays in outer space if you've got enough of it uh, with space tourism. Now, here's the thing. Do money and possessions really bring lasting happiness? And are they what life really is all about? Our society certainly thinks so. Uh, it's obvious that people do live by the motto, who die, he who dies with the most toys wins. And deep down, maybe we secretly believe it as well. 
It's just all around us, the materialism of our society. It's, it's just the air that we breathe. Now, is it all true or is it like all good lies? It's a half true and because it's half true, it really is a whole lie. Is money the answer? We're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament part of the Bible and in it the writer Solomon who is one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, most powerful king Israel ever had, sets out to find what gives life meaning and purpose. What is it that lasts? What, what has continuing value and, and has substance? If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, this is the third week in it, and so far the results of his search haven't been great. Here's the summary of his findings so far, back in chapter 1 and verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And he uses that word meaningless over and over again in the book, and it literally means a vapour or a breath, something that's that's there and it's gone, Uh, like your breath on a cold morning. It's there, you see it, and then it disappears. And that's what life appears to be like. And as he's pursued the different things, he's thinking there's got to be something that is real and permanent and valuable that I can cling on to. And last week we saw his attempts at, at, at several things. He saw him try pleasure. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe we should live for our entertainment and our joy. And he really tried. He tried hard with wine, with women, with uh, art, the arts. He, he even tried gardening of all things. But he says pleasure doesn't last. It's good and it's fun for an instant. But the more you try and hold on to it, the, the, it's, it's like a refreshing handful of water that you're trying to hold in your hands, it just kind of runs through and seeps out and it's gone. Well, if it's not pleasure that gives the meaning of life, well, what about wisdom? Is that the answer, being really clever, unlocking the, the mysteries of life, great learning and so on? But in the end he says the wise person and the foolish person, well, they both die. And their wisdom or their foolishness really doesn't matter anymore. It didn't count for anything. And so he turns today to see if the answer might be found in things like work and wealth and possessions. People live for those things, well, why not give that a go? Maybe they're onto something. Now, there are two sections where he talks about it at length, in chapter 2, in the second half of chapter 2, but then also, again, in chapter 5, he comes back to it. And through those two sections, he gives nine reasons, nine reasons why wealth, possessions and toil just don't deliver either in the end, why they also turn out to be vapour. So let's go through them. Reason number one. It's in chapter 2 and it's verse 18 uh, and it is that someone else is going to get it. And so chapter 2 verse 18, he says, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. We work and we accumulate wealth, we get all this stuff and someone's going to end up with it who's not me. Kerry Packer was Australia's richest man. James Packer has it all now. That whole empire that he built is now in someone else's hands. And so reason number two is related to that. It's in verse 19. The person who gets it might waste it all. 
So verse 19, and who knows whether this person who inherits will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he'll have control over all the work into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. It's vapor. It's Now I wonder if Solomon had in mind his own son Rehoboam in the history books of Israel uh, in 1 Kings, which lists all of Solomon's uh, splendor and his achievements, the palaces that he built, the temple of God and all this wealth that he'd accumulated. And when he died in 1 Kings, in, in prosperity, he left everything to his son Rehoboam, who became the next king of Israel. He inherited everything. But I don't know if you know what happened with Rehoboam. Rehoboam destroyed all of Solomon's work. He destroyed the kingdom. He lost 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, They rebelled against him. He ripped the nation apart. He caused a civil war which would last for centuries. And you know how long it took him to do all of that? Three days. Three days into his reign, he'd lost everything monumental achievement it's in 1 kings and chapter 12 if you want to read about how he did that and i wonder if solomon was sitting there right before his death thinking my little rehoboam do you think he's going to turn out to be a wise man or a fool and i guess we now know the answer to that question and so reason three is another extension of the same thing the person who inherits inherits didn't earn it And so verse 20, So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then he must leave all that he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. You think about it, what, what is an inheritance? An inheritance is is something that you haven't worked for yourself, but it's something given to you by someone else. And his point is, all this work that we're doing, accumulating assets, building our homes and our empires, what are we going to do with it in the end? Well, we're just going to hand it over to someone who hasn't worked for it, didn't put any time or energy or care in it, and maybe even someone in really bad circumstances who didn't even lift a finger to help you in your old age who wasn't there, who disappeared, who, well, maybe they turned up right before you died or even worse, right after it, and they had a tear in their eye uh, and, oh, you know, I miss them so much. Maybe that explains why people now entering into retirement uh, these days are trying to do what's called skinning their kids. Ever heard of skinning? S-K-I-N. Spend kids' inheritance now. But, you know, it's a tricky business doing that because if you spend it all too quickly and then you live for another 20 years past when you thought, uh, who are you going to have to rely on then? Hmm, the kids maybe. (laughs) Reason number four. He says work is pain and grief. That's why money in possessions turn out to be meaningless breath, vapour in the end. Chapter 2 and verse 22. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving which he labours under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Have you done it? I, I certainly have. 
you go to work, you're labouring, you're thinking through all these problems and then you come home and there's all the issues of family life and what's going on and you're lying in bed pondering the anxieties of the day while you know you're tired and you should be going to sleep but you can't do it and so you toss and turn and you just can't nod off and so you're more tired the next day and, and you've got to do it over again and, and the cycle just repeats, it never ends. That's reason number four. Work is toil and grief. Reason number five, and, and we're jumping to the second big section in chapter five now. Reason number five, he says, money is and possessions and wealth are vapor because in the end they never satisfy. You never have enough. And so chapter five and verse 10, he says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Glenn Wheatley, uh, he did pretty well for himself over the years. He was, he was the manager, if you don't know him, of some of Australia's biggest musical acts, uh, Midnight Oil, Tommy Emmanuel, John Farnham, uh, he, he, uh, Spy vs. Spy, uh, any number of great Australian bands and musicians. Uh, do you think he didn't have enough money before he decided to channel off $650,000 in tax fraud. Same with Alan Bond and Christopher Scase and R Renee Rifkin and Bernie Sanders of, uh, you know, of um, WorldCom and Steve Vizard. What, what do they all have in common? They're all men who made it to the top. They were business geniuses who were already very wealthy, but... They just needed more. Now, they're the big boys. You know, we're not like them. Oh, what about us? Uh, I think, and, and studies have shown it, that uh, most Australians believe that if they just had a little bit more money than what they've got now, a little bit more income, a little bit more in the bank, that they would be happier. But study after study demonstrates that it's not true. Here's the results of one study. New York, it's official. Money can't buy happiness. Sure, if a person's handed ten dollars, the, the pleasure centers of his brain light up as if he was given food, sex or drugs. But that initial rush does not translate into long-term pleasure for most people. Surveys have found virtually the same level of happiness between the very rich individuals on the Forbes 400 and the Maasai herdsmen of East Africa. Lottery winners return to their previous level of happiness after five years. Increases in income just don't seem to make people happier and most negative life experiences likewise have only a small impact on long-term satisfaction. Just as an aside, I think all this stuff we're hearing at the minute of this COVID crisis about the, the long-term psychological ramifications and the, the PTSD that we're all going to suffer... I, I think in a year's time, we'll wait and see, but it'll be as if none of it ever happened, almost, for a lot of us anyway. But I reckon it's true what the studies are showing, that, that increases in wealth and getting a lottery win or an extra bit of income don't in the end produce long-term happiness because you get used to what you've got, whatever that happens to be. It, it becomes the new norm. So, so it takes more next time 
to get excited again. It's like adrenaline rushes from experiences. It just takes a bigger roller coaster to have the same rush again. And so in the end, it doesn't satisfy. Reason number six that money and wealth don't prove to be uh, of true meaning and purpose, well, is in chapter 5 and verse 11, and that is all you can do when you've accumulated all the stuff is just look at it. Chapter 5, verse 11, As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? That's right, isn't it? Yeah, the, the more you have... The more stuff just sits around and you can't use it because there's not time to do it. You can only drive one car at a time. You can only sleep in one bed at a time. You can only live in one house at a time. Uh, on our honeymoon, Alison and I uh, went to Queensland and we were on an island for most of it. Uh, and uh, But we flew into and out of Cairns. And uh, while we were there, we stayed overnight on our way home and we went for a walk down by the harbour and there was these amazing yachts. And there was one that was just bigger and better than all the rest of them. But they're all luxurious leather chairs, massive yachts, uh, shiny and new. But what amazed me the most about them was it was a beautiful Saturday afternoon uh, in, uh, in Queensland and all the boats... We're just there moored in the harbour. No one was out using them. Uh, you can you can have these kind of luxury and it just never gets used. It just sits there. And that's Solomon's point. As goods increase, what can you do? But just just look at it. We hoard and we just have stuff filling our lives that we trip over. Reason number seven. Is that is the sleeplessness that comes from having to worry about our wealth the richer we get. Verse 12 of chapter 5, he says, The sleep of the labourer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. The labourer sleeps well because he's tired. The rich man can't sleep because he's worried about his empire. And what might happen and whether the next crisis might tank it all or, or, or perhaps he's lying asleep, restless at night because of indigestion from all, his, all this rich food that he's eaten too much of. Or it might be a little bit of both. Number eight, reason number eight, he says you might lose it all. That's why it can't be meaning or the meaning and purpose of life. You can lose it all. Verse 13 of chapter five, I've seen a, another grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Bill Gates, very, very wealthy man, multiple billionaire. He only has one daughter who always travels with bodyguards. Why? All her life she's done that. Why? Because He's so wealthy and hence she's so wealthy, they're worried that someone is going to kidnap her for a huge ransom. The GFC proved that financial empires can disappear overnight. COVID's proving the same thing. But perhaps the biggest reason none of it delivers in the end is reason number nine. And that is 
you can't take it with you when you're gone. It's in chapter 5, in verses 15 and 16. Have a look at them. Take careful note. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labour that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? Our society is infatuated by rich people. They are the voices that we listen to. Uh, Each year, Business Review Weekly puts out its rich 200 list. They never put out the poor 200 list or even the poor 2000 list or even the poor 20 list, you know, the 20 poorest people in Australia. Uh, They always put out the rich 200 list, uh, beginning with James Packer and working their way down through business people and actors right down to the 200th person. But in the back of it, they've got the departures section. People who were in the list last year, but now they're not. Uh, some of them, their business has gone backwards. Some of them have uh, become philanthropists and given a bunch away. But many, the reason is because they've died. And for those who have died, they, at the bottom, they, they list their what has been left behind, how much they were worth. And I think the answer is always easy. You don't even have to look at the numbers to know what they've left behind. They've left behind everything. They've left it all behind. We're born naked and with our hands empty and we go the same way. Nothing in our hands. For all the trouble and the toil and the effort and the labour in between, what what did it all amount to? Well, we came naked and we're going naked with nothing in our hands. It all amounts to nothing. That's Solomon's point. It's vapour. It's transitory. You can't cling to it. It's it's. It's there and it's gone. Not that having money can't help you in lots of ways now. It does bring respect, as we saw before. It does bring a level of security and freedom and power and so on. And he even says later on, under the sun, if you just take God out of the picture for a a moment and pretend that he's not there, under the sun, uh, and get this, uh, chapter 10 and verse 19, he says, money is the answer to everything under the sun. But the thing is, it doesn't last. And because it doesn't last, it cannot possibly give lasting meaning or value or purpose to life because it all goes in the end. Well, do you believe Solomon with his nine reasons that wealth and possessions don't bring lasting meaning and purpose? Do do you feel the weight of them bearing down on you under the sun, how does it work? Uh, I think money is a lot like pethidine. I don't know if you know pethidine. I know it quite well. Back 
1993, I fell off a flying fox. Maybe you've heard the story. Maybe if you're uh, new to church or you're just watching online, then you haven't heard the flying fox story. Uh, you, flying foxes are fun. You hold on them on a zip, like a zip line. You go down between two trees and it's a lot of fun. Very fast. Well, that's the idea anyway. You're supposed to hang on. Well, I lost my grip and I fell. I won't go into the details, but ended up breaking both arms and both legs. Spent five weeks in hospital and then uh, some weeks in a wheelchair at home and then another year and a half on a walking stick. Uh, there's lots of issues that come out of there. But while I was in the hospital for those five weeks, these wonderful people in kind of these uh, nice outfits kept coming and giving me this stuff called pethidine. And pethidine just makes all the pain go away. Does it fix the problem? Nope. But it makes the pain go away and you don't think too much about anything for a while. It's lovely, and but that's what money is. That's what it's like. Money takes the pain away. Well, it takes it away temporarily at least. It, it gives us some limited measure of security and yes, we can buy protections and things, but but it really can't protect us in the end from the worst things in life. It can't protect us from dysfunctional relationships. The divorce rate is just as high in the richest areas of Sydney as the poorest. Um, it can't protect us from pain and arthritis. It can't protect us from sickness. We, you know, Lavender Bay uh, has you know had one of the worst groupings of COVID virus, and they're the stinking rich. Uh, and uh, it's certainly money cannot protect us from death. Money gives freedom. Well, some semblance of freedom, but, but at the same time, it also brings us slavery. See, it's all half-truth, and therefore it's a whole lie. Well, the good news is we don't just live under the sun. The good news is that God has spoken to us. Now, he's done that through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus, when he came, didn't just point out the problems. He, he gave a solution. Je- Jesus, in his earthly ministry, spoke about money an awful lot. Now, why did he do that? I think it's because he understands how powerful money is and wealth and how seductive it is and how it, it so easily takes the place of God in our lives uh, in terms of worship, in terms of where we find security, in terms of what we're pursuing. I just want to show you two things that Jesus taught about money in conclusion. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus uh, warns the crowds. He says this in verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Who you are or who someone else is, is not the sum total of their assets. Who they are is someone independent of their assets. But think about greed. What is greed? It's it's believing that life is about the abundance of possessions. And, and Jesus gives a story about a man who, who put his stock, who put his hope in, in bigger and bigger barns, literal barns. And Jesus says that man in the end was a fool. He was a fool for not realising what Solomon says about money and wealth is so true, that death makes everything meaningless. And he was an even bigger fool for not realising that there's something 
or even better, there's someone who does give true meaning, true hope, someone who is totally reliable, someone who can supply our needs now and into eternity. God who made it all and who lives in eternity and who, who makes promises that last forever. He's the one you need to sort things out with. A second thing that Jesus said about money was in Mark chapter 8. It's the same sort of teaching, the same idea, but from a different angle. And so Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. He says to the people around, his followers in particular, I'm going from here where where he is on the road, and we're going to Jerusalem, and, and there when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and teachers of the law. Uh, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be spat upon, uh, I'm going to be arrested, and in the end I'm going to be killed. But then after three days I'm going to rise again from the dead. Now what's that got to do with money or possessions or or anything? Well he's talking about uh, what he's on his way to Jerusalem to do for you and for me. He's going to pay for us to come back to God. He, he's saying he's going there to die and explains this in the next couple of chapters, particularly in 1045, that he's going to die for people who've not put their hope in God, but instead they've put their hopes in other things, particularly the things of this world, put their hopes in their money or in their home or in their family and in their stuff. But what he's going to do is pay for us to be restored to our Heavenly Father. And And he's going to do that on the cross. And then he's going to rise again from death, which is going to prove that this world is not all there is. But it leaves us with a choice, a choice of whether to trust him or to trust our things instead. And you can't do both. He concludes in the same section in Mark chapter 8. So if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The Barley Nine caught drug trafficking overseas, some doing 20 years, others doing life, uh, to have had the death penalty. The lawyer said the drug mules were paid ten to $15,000 each. Can you imagine dying for just a few thousand dollars? Your life worth just that. What does Jesus say? Even if you had the whole world and yet it cost you your very soul, it would be a bad deal. But here's the thing. There's no amount of money you can give to cheat death. But there is someone who has given everything in exchange for your soul. And that is Jesus himself. He is paid and he offers all of his benefits freely at no cost. Life, meaning, purpose, 
that, and none of it will end in death. Uh, it, it, that thing that makes all of our stuff and our possessions and our wealth so meaningless. And he says, put your hope in me. Come to me. Trust me. It, it can all be yours. It will all be yours. But, but what you have to trust me for it. You've actually got to choose. It's a choice you've got to make. And so my question for you to reflect on this day, well, and not just this day, every day, is are you selling your soul for something that is just not worth it? Something that in the end will prove to be just vapour. Have you sold your soul for nothing?